Now, here in Romans, and I'm going to ask this question. Why does God allow sin to remain in us? Why does God allow sin to remain in us? Paul, the apostle, here's an apostle now. And look what he says in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. It deals with the thoughts. It deals with the heart. Love God with your heart, with your mind, with your soul. It's a spiritual law. But I'm carnal. I'm fleshly. And I'm sold under sin. And I can't buy myself back. I can't get myself out from under that. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, then I consent unto the law that it is good. Because the law makes me know the difference between the two. But now, or he says now, then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. Oh, the will is present with me. The will to be holy, the will to be without sin, the will to have a pure heart, the will to love God, the will to preach the gospel purely. The will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would... I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, that I would not, it is more more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God. Just delight in God's word, delight in God's ways after the inward man. But I see another law, another principle in my members, in my body, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law, but with the flesh, the law of sin. The apostle says here twice that what he does, he does it because he said, sin dwells in me. Sin dwells in me. And when he talks about sin dwelling in him, I believe every believer in this building this morning knows exactly what that means. That sin, the things that we wouldn't do, we do. The things that say, oh, I don't want to do that. That's what we do. And Paul says, it's not me that does it. It's not me. It's not that man that knows God. It's not that man that loves God. It's not that person who delights in the law of God. But it's that sin that's in me. That sin nature. That nature that's so against God. And he says, it's sin that dwelleth in me. And here's how Paul began his life as after God saved him. He said after he was converted a while, he said, I'm less than the least 
of all the saints. All the saints I know. James, John, Peter, all the apostles, everybody knew. He said, I'm less than the least of them. And then he says that I'm nothing. And then he turns around and says, not only that, when he's getting ready to leave this world, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. He just got worse as he got older. And I know what that's like. I know what that's like. And what we have here, God could have eradicated sin in us when he saved us. And I'll tell you something else. We never had a problem with sin until we were converted. Never had a problem with, never had a problem with sin until God saved us. And here we find a strong believer, a mature believer, dealing with the warfare that goes on in every, every Christian's heart and mind. It's no more I. It's no more I. And every one of us says, oh God, it's not I, but it's sin that dwelleth in me. And you know, as we read the scriptures and read what God plainly revealed and recorded in his book about Noah, the life of Noah, Abraham, Lot, David, Simon Peter, and all their sin and all their failures. We find that even in the very best men in the Bible, there's much evil and sin in them. In the most dedicated, devoted believers there are. And we know, we know that these men, we know that Noah loved God, know that he knew God. We know that David loved God. We know that Abraham loved God. We know that Lot loved God. We know this. And yet their, their sin stands out as great black marks in their characters and in their histories. And in our own hearts and lives, we are so painfully, painfully aware that we're sin through and through. Even as believers, we yet understand that we're just a mass of corruption. Mass of corruption. Just a mass of it. I stand amazed. I st no wonder we say amazing grace. And thank God it says that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Our Lord, he told his disciples, he said, watch and pray. That you come not into temptation. That you enter not into temptation. The spirit. The spirit is willing. But the flesh is so weak. But this is one thing I do know about us as believers. And all believers that I know. Though we constantly blunder and stumble and fall. One thing we do not do. We do not excuse or justify our sin. We don't do that. We don't excuse it. We don't justify it. But we condemn ourselves for it. Somebody else don't have to do it. We do it. And the Spirit of God in us does it. And why did God plainly record the sins of these fathers of the faith? Why does he allow sin to remain in us? I'm going to give you, try to give you five reasons why he does. The first one's this. To constantly remind us that salvation is entirely, entirely of the grace of God. Entirely of the grace of God. I love the term free grace. I love the term free grace more than I do sovereign grace. Because everybody has some idea of what grace is. But when you say free grace, 
That means that it's free. There's no conditions on it. You can't attain it in no way or shape or form. And salvation, salvation is never in our doings, in our thoughts or in our feelings, but in the doing and dying of the Lord Jesus Christ himself and him alone. It's if it's of grace, then it's not got any works to do with it. And if it's of works, there's no grace involved in it. And that's why I said, God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose, purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ before the world began. Salvation is never in our righteousness, but in his righteousness given to us. And the apostle said, if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And if anybody, listen, there's never, if God ever does anything for us in this life, in this service today, if he does anything for us today, it'll be entirely of his grace. Now, he won't bless us because of our prayers. He ain't going to bless us because we're here. He ain't going to bless us because we read the Bibles. He's not going to bless us because we even believe the salvation. He blesses us for grace and for Christ's sake. We've never, ever earned a blessing from God in this life. And we never will. And that's why he lets his sin remain in us to make us understand that salvation is of the Lord from Alpha to Omega. And if ever, if we, if we, if we sinned and then God cut us off, where would that be? Where would it leave us? Oh, salvation is never any time dependent even on our feelings. Oh, if it depended on our feelings, <laughs> oh my, oh my goodness. Sometimes I feel like I could fight the devil. Sometimes I feel like I'm just, I can't, I ain't got enough strength to even. David said, you know, if I had fainted unless I'd believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land, just fainted. There's days that I just, all I can do is say, oh God, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. I can't taste anything else, but Lord, have mercy. Oh, salvation's dependent on God's grace given us in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it is. Look, you keep Romans and look over here with me in Luke chapter 7. This is what, this is what I'm trying to say. Oh, Paul says, you know, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it's not I that liveth. Not I that liveth. No more I that liveth, but Christ. Christ who lives in me. And look what he said here in, 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 in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him, our Lord Jesus Christ, that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city. And this is how she's described, which was a sinner. Which was a sinner. Is anybody anything but that? <laughs> they don't know it, but she knew it. 
God knew it because it which was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus said at meat in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him. They, they, they reclined. They reclined on the floor when they ate. And our Lord evidently had his feet laying out and she stood behind his feet. And it says here, and, and she began, stood behind his feet, began weeping and began to wash his feet with tears did wipe him with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Kissed the feet of the dear Savior. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him and asked him to come and eat saw it, he said within himself, saying, If this man, if he were really a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she's a sinner. And our Lord said, Simon, I've got something to say to you. He said, Master, say on. There's a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. One owed 10% of what the other owed. And when they, now listen to this, and when they had nothing to pay, that's it, nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. And that's exactly, you know, no matter what you owe, you're still in debt. And he frankly forgives both. And I'll tell you something, beloved, and not, look over, he, he read over here in 1 Peter. Look in 1 Peter with me. I want you to, I want just to look at this together with me. Talking about, he said, the God of all grace. Thank God for grace. And that's why this, this awful evil of sin stays in us. And if God didn't, if it was, if, and that's why... We need grace. We got to be saved by grace. I know it more now than I've ever known it. If salvation, God don't save me, I won't be saved. And look what he said here in verse 10, 1 John 5, but the God of all grace. What grace? Eternal grace. You know God's eternal and everything he's ever done for us, he's done eternally. He loved us eternally. He called us with an eternal calling. And everything that you find he done for us in Romans chapter 8, every bit of it's in the past tense. So our justification is eternal. Our salvation is that God's eternal, so he can't do anything but do what for us eternally. And he lets us know about it in time, but it's always based on eternity. And on elects us from eternity, he, and then he calls us effectually. Look what he says, but the God of all grace who hath called us called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ. It's an effectual call. And then it's an enabling call. He said, after you have suffered a while, he enabled, how can you suffer? God has to enable you to suffer. There are some folks that they complain over anything that happens to them, and there's other folks that God can just knock the props out of them, take everything, they, the dearest thing that they hold, and they'll say, it's the Lord, let him do what seemeth good. God can take your heart and break it into a thousand pieces and leave you weeping on your bed and you'll say, it's the Lord. Let him do what seemeth good. You take what God gives you and you say, Lord, blessed be your name. And the thing you only care about is how can I live to his glory in this situation? And if you ever complain to anybody, the only person you complain to is the Lord. If you got anything to say, you only say it to him. 
And I tell you, he's a, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you. You say, oh, I don't know if I can, his grace is sufficient for you. I don't think I can bear that way. His grace is sufficient for you. I don't think I can bear my heart hurting any more than it does. His grace is sufficient for you. I don't know if I can get through this trial. His grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to die in three weeks. His grace is sufficient for you. And I tell you, he said his strength is made perfect in weakness. And how weak are we? And no, not only that, but he's, oh, God of all grace, he's enlightening grace. He gives grace for grace. He gives us grace from faith to faith. And oh, look what ensuring grace it is. He said he ensures us and guarantees us it's a sure grace. For he said, after you suffered a while, he's going to make you perfect. Going to make us perfect. He's going to establish us. He's going to strengthen us, and he's going to settle us. And oh, look what he says down here in verse 12. And he said, he told Silvanus, he said, I've written briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. True grace of God wherein you stand. <laughs> Thank God for grace. Uh, all right, so that's one reason why to show us that salvation is entirely of the grace of God. Here's the second reason then. Back over in Romans 7, he says, I know, in verse 18, I know that in me, know that in me, that is in my flesh, my old nature, dwelleth no good thing. Huh? In my flesh, that is in me, dwelleth no good thing. Any good thing? He said, well, what about, no, nothing. No good thing in this body. Sin manifests itself in the body. In Romans 8, 12, look what he says. You know, about the flesh. Look what he said in Romans 8, 12, about the flesh. Therefore, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. What is the flesh ever contributed to our salvation. What has the flesh ever done for me and you? What has the flesh ever done for me and you? All it's done is made our lives miserable. Made us burdensome to ourselves. I don't owe my flesh anything. It's my problem. My flesh is my problem. My flesh is my trouble. My flesh is where my sin's at. Uh, and I tell you, and I know this as well as I know who my, who my, what my name is. I know that in our flesh remains the potential to any evil or sin. If we ain't done it, we've thought it. How many times have you got, just, you know, You've had somebody cut you off in a, in a car, just, you know, pull out in front of you and cut you off, and you'll get so mad so quick. And if you had your way, you'd just, oh, no, tell them what you'd say to them, what you'd do to them. What caused you to do that? 
And you say, well, that's the simplest thing in the world. But it's still, that's the flesh that does that. It's the flesh. All of our righteousnesses is as a filthy rag. Paul says in Galatians 5.17, he says, The flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And they're contrary to one another. I mean, this flesh is contrary to the spirit of God in me. And the Spirit of God's contrary to the flesh that's in me. And he said, you cannot do the things that you would. You prayed this morning, Lord, please keep our minds. Let our, not, not our minds wonder. You know, we cannot be as fleshly as we would be because of the Spirit of God in us. And we can't be as spiritual as we want to do, be because of the flesh that's in us. It's in our hearts today to come in here. And enjoy the service and worship God and hear the preaching. And yet this flesh, it reminds me, shoom, shoom, here and yonder and everywhere. I don't know how many times I've been preaching. And Bruce has done this and you've done it. And you'll be preaching. You watch somebody's mind while you're preaching to them. Just watch their mind go. And it'll walk off and in a little while it'll walk back. I've seen that. I couldn't tell you how many times. <laughs> but that's, that's the way it is, ain't it? Paul said, when I would, when I would do good, when it's in our hearts to do good, evil goes right along with it. Just as sure as we do good for somebody, and do something good for somebody, do something nice for somebody, and want to do it, evil comes along and says, boy, that was a nice thing you've done. They're going to say, boy, what a fine fellow he is. What a sweet woman she is. That's what, just a minute, Bruce got down the other day, and he said, oh, don't brag on him too much. His head will get too big. I said, Bruce, me and you are the only ones guilty of that. You know, we get, our head gets big before we get out of the pulpit. You know, we got so much pride in us. Self-righteousness. That's why he says, you know, our righteousness is ours of filthy rags. I know that. And how many hypocrisies have we manifested in our lives? How much hypocrisies? And, I'm, and I don't mean to be funny, but this is the truth. Somebody mentioned this morning about uh, a, a, a sister didn't want to go to church because so many hypocrites. A fellow told me that one time. He was up on a ladder, and I asked him to come to a service and come to a meeting. I was preaching a meeting. I said, you, I said, you two fellas come to the meeting tonight. And one of them said, well, there's too many hypocrites up there. I said, well, come on. One, one, one more won't make a bit of difference. <laughs> and I told him that, and you know what? He showed up that night. <laughs> but now that's right. One more will not make one eye out of a difference. I tell you, you know, we all got so much hypocrisy in us. And that's what we said. And remember, how about all the evil hard thoughts that you've had of somebody else? How many evil hard thoughts have you had somebody? And how many times have you laid in bed and said, boy, and you've told somebody off in your mind. You just run, you just worked them over and you told them, and this is what you're going to do. And I'm going to tell them this and I'm going to tell them that. And then when you see them, well, honey, it's so good to see you. <laughs> Now, that, that's the way we are. That's the way we are. Huh? And then all about all the good and prideful thoughts that we've had of ourselves. Oh, my. 
And when we should have shown, shown love and kindness, we are cold and indifferent. And that's why the apostle says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, don't dwell any good thing. And he says, we, we rejoice in Christ Jesus, worship God in the spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. We don't do it, huh? We don't do it. And I'll tell you another reason why God lets sin remain in us. To teach us to be patient with our brethren. To teach us to be patient with our brethren. And I'm going to tell you something. We ought never conclude that a man has no grace because he has sinned. Because if we was honest, if we was honest, we'd have to admit that when we have sinned, we wouldn't have any grace either. Huh? Look in Galatians 6 with me just a moment. Teach us to be patient with our brethren. Oh, my. Who hasn't? Has anybody in here ever acted uncharacteristic of grace? You know, all of, all of us has acted uncharacteristics of grace. But look what the apostle said here. This is why God teach us to be patient with our brethren. Brethren, and he says this, brethren, if a man... Or although a man be overtaken in a fault. Now listen to this. You which are spiritual. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Don't go and get all over them and say you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have acted that way. Oh man, don't do that ever again. If you see somebody do that, you restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Now listen to it. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And then he says, and listen, he may be a weight to you. He may be a burden to you. And his faults may be a burden to you. And your faults may be a burden to him. So what are you going to do? You're going to bear one another's burdens the way they are. And you know what you'll do doing that? You'll fulfill the law of Christ. You'll fulfill the law of Christ. And I'll tell you, you know, to hear works preachers preaching that, According to them, Noah couldn't have been a saved man. He got drunk. They said, oh, man can't be saved with drinks. Get drunk. Oh, he can't. Noah, Noah's not saved. He couldn't have been saved. He's drunk. And not only is he drunk, but he got, he got naked. But I'm telling you something. As old Scott said, his sons might have seen his nakedness, but God didn't see it. Because it was covered with the righteousness of Christ. And what about David? They said, oh, David, there's no way in the world. They said, a man that would have committed adultery, there's no way in the world he could be saved. Well, then David couldn't have been saved. And if you'd have heard Simon Peter cursing, denying the Lord Jesus Christ, you'd have said, oh, that man don't know the Lord. Oh, my. I, I hope you... I, I hope you never see me when I'm certain ways. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I hope you never see me when I'm angry. 
I hope you never see me when I'm disgusted. I hope you never see me when I've got it in my mind to, to almost cuss somebody out. I hope you never see me like that. I hope you never see me mistreat my wife. I hope you never see me be harsh and ill and embarrass her in public. I hope you never see me do that. I hope that all you'll ever see of me is see Christ in me, grace in me, and love in me, and kindness and gentleness and goodness and faith. I hope that's all you ever see out of me. I hope that's all you ever see. God sees me the way I really am. So that's why he does it, to teach us to love our brethren and be very patient with our brethren. Oh, my. And here's another thing. Here's another thing. Bless his holy name. To remind us that when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. <laughs> Little children, I write unto you that you sin not. But if you do, we got an advocate. we got a lawyer at the right hand of God. Who is he? Jesus Christ the righteous. The righteous. And this is what I love. I love this. And I just, when we do sin, and we, we will, we do, we are, we don't lose our salvation. God doesn't cast us out of his family. He said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, in no wise will I cast them out. If he was going to cast anybody out, he would have cast David out. He had cast Noah out. He had cast Simon Peter out. And he had cast me out the first day he saved me. He had cast me out. But all oh, he had, listen, you say, well, you just don't know how. Listen, he'll never cast you out. He'll never, there's nothing you can say. There's nothing you can do. There's no way that you can act. There's no word can come out of your mouth. No thought can go through your mind. Nothing get in your heart that would cause God to say, I'm done with them. I'm through with them. I'm not having any more to do. God won't do that. And the first reason being is because we're washed in the blood of Christ. And we may know our sin and we may know something about it, but our Lord Jesus Christ, I'll tell you something. When He goes into the presence of God for us, now, we may lose our peace. We may lose the joy of our salvation. But there's no way under God's Son that we can break the bond of the covenant of God's blessed grace. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is our advocate and He pleads for us. And you know what He pleads for us? You know what He pleads for us? He does not mention my name or your name or anybody's name in the presence of God. He said, you know, the devil goes there and he's the accuser of the brethren. He'll go up there and say, oh, that preacher down there, I said, oh, that preacher down there, he's the biggest hypocrite and he gets up there and preaches like he knows all about salvation of the Lord and then he goes off and gets self-righteous. He preaches that he knows all about grace and he loves the grace of God and he's preaching grace and then he goes off and brags about how good he is to his own mind. How are you going to do with him? I've done done it. And we you know what he's going to plead? 
He's not going to say, Donnie Bell, I'm, I'm pleading for Donnie Bell. He says, you know, he goes in the presence of the Lord. He said, here's the reason why you don't let him go. Look at the prince in my hand. Here's the reason you let him go. This is the reason why the devil can't accuse us. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Look at my feet. He only pleads himself. He only pleads who he is and what he's done. He don't plead our name. He pleads himself. And who do we plead when we go in the presence of God? We plead him. We plead him. We plead his blood. We plead his righteousness. We plead his doing and his dying. We never go and say, Lord, oh, no, he takes it. He, he's our advocate. And the, when you go in court, all you can say is guilty. And if you've got the right lawyer, he's going to take away all the guilt. You're going to walk out of the courtroom with nothing against you, justified. And in the courts of heaven, we're justified in the sight of God because Christ pleads himself. Bless his holy name. Bless his holy name. Ain't you glad that's the way it is? Wouldn't you hate to have to go up there and plead yourself? All I'd say, guilty, guilty, guilty. Oh, listen, I'll tell you something. I got stopped by a cop one day and I said, Oh, listen, can you please have mercy on me? He said, I don't know nothing about mercy. That's exactly what he told me. He said, I, up on 119, going towards Pikeville, Kentucky, going just, just a little ways from from Zebulon, and the cops stopped me there, and I said, oh, can't you have mercy on me? No, he said, I can't have mercy on you. Law don't know nothing about mercy. He just wrote me a ticket, a couple hundred dollar ticket. Didn't know nothing about mercy. Didn't know nothing about mercy. No, he didn't want to know it. Oh, my. Remember, beloved, that our works or righteousness did not commend us to God, Neither can our sins separate us from God. You know why? Because he views us in Christ. And over in 1 John 4, 17 says that as he is now, right now, as Christ is right now, so are we in this world. Christ not in the flesh, we're not in the flesh. Christ not in the world, we're not in the world. Christ died to sin once, we died to sin once. Christ was buried. We was buried. Christ was raised. He was raised. Christ at the right hand of God right now, seated. We're at the right. As he is right now, that's the way we are. Oh. Mm. Well, let me give you the last point. I told you there's five of them. Here's the last one. Why does he allow sin to remain in us? To wean us. To wean us. From this world. To wean us off of this world. Ain't it something that. That is. That we love him. We know him. We need him. And yet he has to continually. Wean us off of this world. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. For all that's in the world. Is the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. And these things are not of the father. And he 
leaves this in us to wean us from our to wean us from this world, from our selfishness, from our self-love, from our covetousness, from our materialism, and to make us want out of this world, to make us want out of here. I could not tell you how many times I I want to leave this world. And I got to stay till the Lord gets done with me. And I get homesick to go home to be with Christ. I prayed for Brother Henry Mahan yesterday. I said, Lord, take Brother Henry home. Take him home. He's been here so long and he wants to go so bad. Lord, take him home. And you can't go be homesick and want to go someplace if you don't have a home. And I've got a home on high. And I want to go. And then I won't have nothing else. I won't have no more sin to deal with. No more flesh to deal with. But oh, make us want out of this world. But since we have to stay here, He makes us desire to have the peace and joy in believing. Peace and joy in believers. And another reason why is to show us the way of the transgressors hard. It's hard. Oh, listen, to manifest anything but grace, it's hard. To get ill and contrary and cold and indifference is hard. It's hard on you. It's hard on your thoughts. It's hard on your heart. It's hard on your feelings. It's hard on your relationship. It's hard. And to make us desire the Lord Jesus Christ and His salvation and His presence more than anything else in this world. Give me Christ. I want him more. We, we want him more than anything else. In this. We want his presence more than anything else we want in this world. Anything else. Let me show you this in Philippians and I'll be done. Philippians 3. Oh, to, to make us desire our Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation and presence more than anything else. We have a dear brother down home. Oh, what a dear, dear brother he is. He sits where his daddy sat. The Lord took his daddy home about 18, 19 years ago, and he sits right where his daddy sat. He got his daddy's name. And every time he prays, and he comes up and reads the scriptures and he prays on Sunday evenings, he says, Lord, if I don't know you, let me know you now. If I'm not saved, please save me. I don't want to be lost. I don't want to miss Christ. I got to have Christ. You got to have him. Got to have him. And look what he said here, the apostle said in Philippians 3.12. Not as though I had already attained. I haven't arrived yet, what he said. I've not got where I'm going. Either we're already perfect, talking about himself and his flesh. But I follow after, I'm after this. If that I may apprehend, be able to grasp that for which also I am apprehended why Christ laid hold on me. And do you ever think that? Why did Christ lay hold on me? Paul said, this is what I want to know. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, my religion, my false professions, and all the things and my faults, and, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I'm reaching out. And look what he says, and I'm pressing, pressing toward the mark 
for the prize. I'm waiting to cross the finish line toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know what? The, when you cross that finish line, you know what your prize is going to be? The Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know what our prize is? He's our prize now. He's our reward now. But you know when you cross them finish lines, you know you race here, they give you a medal and all that kind of stuff, you know, but boy, when we cross, we're pressing. We're pressing. We're going. We're reaching forth. We're reaching, going after Christ. And we're pressing toward that mark. And one of these days, we're going to cross the finish line. And Christ's going to be our, that's our prize. What a prize. What a prize. What a prize.